So last week, last week we talked about, uh, I shared how I'm a, I'm a really bad waiter. I don't like waiting on things. This morning, uh, our technical difficulties, I was reminded of the thing that I, I like waiting for the least, and that is Windows Update. Um, you know, lots of people say like, oh, Apple computers, Macs, they're so expensive. But uh, all the time that I save not waiting for Windows Update is, is well worth the price of admission. But the BC laptop is, is one of those horrible Windows machines that we have to wait on. And since we don't use it every week, you know, we never get those messages until Sunday where it says, hey, now is the time because you've put it off for months where you have to update and then it took forever, and then we turned it off, which you're not supposed to do, but I think that actually saved us time. And so, sorry for all the difficulties. You can take them up with Microsoft. Uh, kids, where are you guys at this morning? Raise up your hands. All right. So my first question for you is, how many of you get tired? All right. Well, what, what happens when you get tired? What do you, what do you need to do? How do you get untired when you're tired? What? Sleep. And you guys like sleeping? No. All right. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes you like. Sometimes you don't. So that's when you're like you're you're tired. Are there are there any other kinds of tired? What? Like tired of being in the car? Yeah. What about, like, tired of school? Like, your brain is tired. Do any of you ever get, like, tired brains? So what do you need to do when that? Do you sleep when your brain is tired? What do you do? Like, goof off, do crazy stuff? How do you get your brains untired? Zaylee? Yeah, so sometimes you just get used to it. Sometimes you, like, check out and kind of turn your brain off for a little bit. All right. What about, what do you think the word weary means? Anybody have any guesses? Zeke? It's like where your like, muscles are tired and you're just not strong. So, like, super tired. Like, really, really tired. Do you think it's just physical, or do you think it's, like, mental, too? Like, your brain's tired, and maybe, like, your emotions are tired. Just kind of like you're just worn out. So what do we do when we're weary? Do we do the same thing as when we're tired? Just more of it? Well, you guys don't seem to know the answer, which is a good thing, because today we're going to find out the answer in God's Word. God says that when we're weary, we should come to Him, because He doesn't grow weary. God doesn't get tired. He doesn't faint. He doesn't uh, grow weary. He doesn't lose strength. He's always strong. He's always capable. He's always sufficient. He's always there for us. And so when we are tired, when we need strength, when we're weary, we're supposed to come to Him. We're supposed to wait on Him. That's what we're going to see in our passage this morning, kids. And so I would encourage you to go home and talk to your parents about what we should do when we're tired, when we run out of strength, when we're weary, and how we should come to the Lord and and give those things to Him. Parents, help your kids process that and and learn how to do that together as a family. If you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. 
It's also going to be on the slides behind me, and we're going to read verses 12 through 31 this morning. Again, that's Isaiah chapter 40, and we're going to read verses 12 through 31. We're kind of continuing on in our Advent series that we started last week, where the goal of this series and and Advent this year for us in the sermons is to remind us uh, about the importance for us to wait on the Lord and and kind of what that means and how we do that and why we should do that as a people. So last week we looked at Psalm 27. This week we're looking at Isaiah 40. Next week we'll be in Lamentations. And then the week after that we'll be in Romans chapter 8. And so we're going to read verses 12 through 31 of Isaiah 40 this morning. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens with a span, and enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? In idol. A craftsman crafts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for its silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, he who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the earth, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Isaiah 40, that that in it you uh, remind your people about who you are and, and, and what you've done for them. That you remind your people, you remind us who we are in light of who you are. And we thank you that your word doesn't just come with knowledge about you, but it comes with promises from you. We pray this morning that you would help us to, um, to be reminded again 
of who you are and what you've done for us. That you would use your spirit to, to stir up the faith in us, to increase our faith in your promises, that we might cling to them. Um, and that when we're weary, when we're faint, when we lose strength, that we would turn to you, that we would wait on the Lord who renews strength for those who love him. We pray that you would help us now by your spirit to understand your word together and, and apply it to our hearts and minds and lives this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you came down, um, that, that all of God's promises find their yes in you because of who you are and what you've done for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So this morning, we're, we're jumping in to the second half of Isaiah chapter 40. And uh, to give you kind of a little bit of context of what's going on in the book of Isaiah, I know we went through it as a church not that long ago, but I'm sure like me, you probably have forgotten a lot of that. Uh, the, the book of Isaiah kind of falls into two halves. The first half is Isaiah preaching judgment to the people in hopes that they'll come to repentance, but God tells him that that's not going to happen. And so the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are, are pretty depressing. It's just judgment, 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 judgment for 39 chapters. But then you get to Isaiah 40 and everything changes. God recommissions Isaiah to preach a message of comfort, a message of salvation. God's judgment has fallen, but now he's going to come and save his people. He's going to redeem them. He's going to restore them. He's going to bring them back. Uh, he's going to save them. He himself is coming to save them. So Isaiah gets that good news message, that good news commission at the beginning of Isaiah 40. And then in the second half of Isaiah 40, the passage that we just read, he's reminding the people about who God is. He's, he's telling them about, about who God is, about what, he's, what he does, and, and kind of who they are in light of that. So it's about reminding the people of those truths. And he does that through a series of questions and answers. And so the very first question comes, uh, the very first questions come in verses 12 through 14. And I'm just going to pick a couple of these. So who has measured the spirit of the Lord? What man shows him his counsel? So what man kind of advises God? Uh, who taught him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge? Who showed him the way of understanding? So uh, can we get a show of hands of people who have done these things? Anybody here given God wisdom? Anybody here taught God about justice? Anyone here offered him counsel? Right? The answer to these questions is, is no one, right? Nobody does these things. God doesn't need anyone to do these things for him. He is sufficient in himself. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't need our outside knowledge. Uh, Isaiah gives kind of this explanatory answer in verse 15. He says, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. At our house, uh, every week on Friday, we have, we have pizza night, um, where we like, make our own crust, make our own sauce, make our own pizza. And so early in the week, usually Wednesday or Thursday, like, we, we make dough. And we make dough, and we bake, we, we don't measure the flour, we, we weigh it. And so we have a scale at our house that is, that is covered in flour. But the flour is such an insignificant amount that it doesn't affect the weight of the scale at all. Um, God here is saying that nations are like that to him, 
right? They're like dust on the scale. It says the coastlands, these are the, the modern-day nations of Syria, Israel, and Palestine. They're, they're inconsequential. They're insignificant compared to who God is. Verse 16, he says, Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. Uh, a whole nation doesn't have enough forests to build enough, a big enough fire and doesn't have enough animals to offer enough sacrifices to him. It says, all the nations, verse 17, are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. The point of these verses, this kind of first little chunk, is that God is sufficient in himself. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need the nations. God made everything. He owns everything. He is sufficient in himself. He doesn't need them. Verse 18 follows up with another question. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare him with? This is a, a pretty simple question. He's saying, who is like God? What's the answer to this question? No one. That is the right answer. That's the correct answer. That's the truth. No one is like God. But Isaiah gives us the response of the people in his day in verses 19 and 20. Their response is an idol. That's what they're going to liken him to. And he says that a craftsman makes one. And so they, they cast it, then they cover it with gold, and then uh, they have a silversmith make silver chains for it. Because, you know, you just have to accessorize your idol. It's not enough to make one. You've got to give it some necklaces to wear. But if you can't afford a gold one, he says, uh, make one out of wood. But as you do that, make sure that you pick a wood that's not going to rot and make sure you pay a craftsman that's good enough to make an idol for you that's not going to fall over. These are the things that the people of Isaiah's day are turning to other than God. They're turning to these idols that can't even stand for themselves, that if they're made poorly, they fall over. His point is that these things are not in any way comparable to God. These are not like him, but this is what people are answering with. And so he reminds them again in verse 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? He's reminding them about these truths. And look at the answer he gives to this question. Verse 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. So he's saying God reigns over everything. He sits above the earth. He sits over the earth. He, he's reigning over it because he's the one who made it. And we, he says, are like grasshoppers. We're like insignificant insects. We're the, the bad guys in a bug's life. That's who we are. This here is a helpful reminder for us. Because when our perspective gets out of whack, when we forget who we are and kind of our place in the world, our place in God's creation, it tends to mess up everything else in our life. Uh, One author says that humility is having a right understanding of who God is and then having a right understanding of who we are underneath that. So we, we understand who God is, and because we understand who God is, we then understand who we are. Isaiah says that that right understanding is understanding that God reigns over everything and we are like grasshoppers. We are more like a grasshopper than we are like God. Which I don't think is something that we would acknowledge outside of God telling us that in his word. Really, we are more like just about anything else than we are like God. Because he is so unlike us. He is so different than us. I am more like this music stand than I am like God. Because of how much greater and higher and more wonderful and more perfect he is than I am. We are unlike him. We are like grasshoppers. 
says that he spreads out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. God creating the world is the equivalent of us closing a couple curtains. God creating the world is the equivalent of us setting up a tent, right? He, because of who he is, can do these things with the ease of us doing things that seem simple to us. It says that he brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. God rules over everything. He is the one who is king. So he asks again in verse 25, To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. They gave the wrong answer last time, so he's bringing them back to the truth. This is how they're going to find the answer. He says, Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. What he's calling them to do here is he's calling them to look at the stars. He's reminding them that their God knows everything and controls everything and sustains everything. And so he draws their attention to the stars, which some people worshipped in this time. And he says that he knows all of them by name and knows them by number. So how many stars are there? The answer to that question is, is we don't know. There are, uh, in our galaxy, an estimated, estimated because we don't know, estimated 100 billion stars just in our galaxy. There are an estimated 2 trillion galaxies in the observable universe. Again, estimated because, because we don't know. So 100 billion stars in our galaxy, 2 trillion galaxies in the observable universe. So 2 trillion times 100 billion, of course, is, is what? It's 200 sextillion, which I had to look that up because I didn't know what that was. Uh, that's 2 times 10 to the 23rd power, or 2 followed by 23 zeros. Again, that's an estimate. But that means there are a whole lot of stars in God's creation. More than we can count, more than we can imagine, more than we can know. And Isaiah says that God knows all of them by name. He knows the exact number. And more than just knowing it, it says that uh, by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. 200 sextillion stars at least exist because God is sustaining them by the greatness of his might, because he is strong in power. He is the one who is causing them to shine. But the question then is, is how is that an answer to his question? Right? The question was, well, who is God is like? Who is God like? And then he says, let's look at the stars. It's because they were one of the things that people worshipped. And so they will turn to idols that they've made to worship instead of God. They will turn to the stars that God has made to worship instead of God. And God is reminding them that he is the one who has made them. He is the one who is controlling them. He is the one who is reigning over them. He is the one who knows them all by number and name. God reigns over these things that people worship. People are worshiping things that he has made, whether they're gold or silver or wood or stars. They are worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And so he is calling them back to himself. He asks him another question in verse 27. 
He says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? He's saying, why are you saying that God has disregarded me? Why are you saying that God doesn't see you? And he's going to give them these truths as an answer to that question. He says, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So this is the answer. to They're saying that God has disregarded them. They're saying that God isn't paying attention to them. They're saying that God doesn't care about them. And this is God's response to them. So we're going to focus first on verses 30 and 31, then we're going to come back and pick up 28 and 29. So 30 and 31 is the, you know, youth shall faint and be weary, uh, but we'll renew our strength and mount up on wings like eagles. Um, If you've ever been a youth or a young person, which of course all of us have, uh, there's a good chance that if you grew up as a Christian or in a Christian family or in Christian circles, that at some point in your life you got a card with this verse on it, or like a picture with this verse on it, or like a bookmark with this verse on it, because this is a really popular passage, because you know eagle wings and all that, and you can put a really nice pretty picture and talk about it. Um, And because of that, these verses are taken out of context a whole lot. And they're great, this is a great passage to illustrate the importance of context, because if we just isolate verses 30 and 31 from the rest of the passage, uh, it's all about us. We're, you know, we, we wait for the Lord, but, but we renew our strength. We walk and not be faint and run and not be weary. It's all about what we do. So the question then is, where does our strength come from? How can we run and not grow weary? How can we not walk and not grow faint? So look back at verse 28. Says the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. And so if we take verses 30 and 31 completely out of this passage and, and separate them from their context, we might think that it's all about us. But if we actually read the passage, we recognize that it's actually all about him. Where does our strength come from? It comes from God. It comes from the everlasting God. How can we run and not grow weary? Because he can run and not grow weary. How can we walk and not grow faint? Because he doesn't grow faint. We get our power. We get our source of strength from him. But verse 31 says that it's they who wait for the Lord that renew their strength. And so we get that strength. We can walk and not grow faint. And we can run and not grow weary when we wait on the Lord. That's what our role is in this. We have to be people who put ourselves in the presence of the God who gives us strength. The reason why we have to do that is because we will grow weary. We will faint. We will lose strength. We will lose heart. He says that even youths, even young men fall exhausted. It is inevitable. Like we're going to get to that place. Even if you think you're not going to get to that place, you will. It's just going to happen eventually. 
He says that this is going to happen. And when we're in that place, when we're faint, when we're weary, when we don't have strength, it is imperative that we wait on the Lord because that's where our help comes from. That's where our strength comes from. It's necessary. It's essential for us to remember the reality that that's where our help comes from. Because it's when we turn to other things, when we look toward other places, when we try to find help and sustaining and rest and strength in other places that we don't find it. Because the place that we find it is by waiting on the Lord. He renews our strength. We can't and don't do that for ourselves. We come to the Lord in prayer, seeking his face, seeking his presence, seeking the strength that only he can provide for us. That's how he renews our strength. And so for some of us, that means that we need to carve out time in our lives so that we can actually do those things, so that we can actually seek him out, so that we can actually wait on the Lord. Because either we're we're too busy or we waste too much time so that we don't feel like we actually have time to wait upon the Lord. Those are things that we need to fix so that we can put ourselves in the presence of the one who can give us strength. For others of us, maybe we carve out the time to pray, but we have our prayer time and then we have the rest of our life. And so we pray and then we go on about our business not even thinking or expecting God to answer. Waiting on the Lord means that we sit in his presence, but it also means that we have a hope-filled, faithful expectation that God is actually going to answer our prayers, that the strength is going to come. So it's not just praying and not doing anything. It's praying and then acting as if God is going to answer because we know that he will. We need to recognize what Isaiah wants us to see in this passage as he comes to a people that is weary, a people that is exhausted, a people that is faint, a people that's been enduring judgment after judgment after judgment. He wants to remind them. He wants us to see that when we're in that place, when we're faint, when we're weary, when we're tired, when we're exhausted, when we don't have strength to go on, what we need is the Lord. That is the answer to that problem in our lives. And I think that that's really important for us this year, this season, this Advent, because this has been a particularly wearying year. It's been a strength-sapping year. And even though the holidays are a time where we maybe have more time to rest, it's still often not a restful time. And so I want to remind us, I want to remind myself this year, this Advent, that when we're in a place where we're tired, when we're in a place where we're weary, the answer for us is to turn to the Lord, to wait upon the Lord, because he is the one who renews our strength. He is the one who doesn't grow weary or faint. We will, we do, but he does not. Jesus in the gospel says, come to me, uh, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's a promise to us from our Savior. This passage in Isaiah is a promise to us from our God. When we're in that place, he's saying, come to me and I'll give you rest. When we are exhausted, he's saying, come to me and I will give you strength. He promises to give us strength when we wait for him. And so this Advent, let's be people who do that. Let's be people who look at God's word and say, you have given us a promise. And I want to act 
and live on the basis of that promise. And so if I am tired, if I am exhausted, if I am weary, what I'm going to do is what God tells me to do in his word, which is to turn to him, to wait upon him, and to find my strength renewed, not in my own power, not in my own abilities, but in him. And so I would encourage you to be watching for ways in which you do what the people do in this passage in Isaiah, where there's this simple question with a simple answer. What should we do when we don't have strength? We should turn to God. But to where we give another answer instead of the right one. We say, well, what I need to do after the end of a hard day with my kids is just sit on the couch and watch a whole bunch of episodes of a show on Netflix. Because that does make us feel better. But it's not what we really need. And I'm not saying we can't watch TV, right? That's, that's not what you should hear from this. But what we should do is we should find the source of our strength in God and not in something else. What we should do is we should wait upon the Lord instead of waiting on things that don't matter. What we should do is we should trust in and live on the right answer rather than some substitute that is going to fall short. Right? We look at them saying an idol is, is what we can compare God to and we think that's ridiculous. We would never do that. But we create idols all of the time out of far lesser things. We just don't have physical statues in our homes. So this Advent, let's be people who turn to the Lord for strength because that is where our help comes from. Let's wait upon him because he asks us to. Right? He gives us that opportunity. Jesus came down here to live the life that we couldn't live in our place, being our substitute, to usher us into God's presence. We can wait upon the Lord because Jesus came down. So let's do that together as a church. Let's, let's be those people this Advent. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you promise in your word to renew our strength when we wait upon you, when we come to your presence, when we seek your face. You promise to give us what we lack. And so we pray that you would send your spirit to empower us to be faithful seekers of your face to be those who wait upon you, to be those who cling to your promises and expect an answer in response. We pray that you would help us to respond to your word with faith and obedience. Jesus, we thank you that you came to make a way for us to be in your presence to make it possible for us to wait upon the Lord, to make it possible for the promises of God to apply to us. We pray that this Advent, as we grow tired and weary, and this year that seems to bring problem after problem and issue after issue, that you would help us to turn to you instead of to lesser things. We pray that as we continue in our service this morning, that, that we would respond to your word with, with faith and celebration at the realities of who our God is and what you've done for us. And that we would worship you as those who, who understand that we are more like grasshoppers than we are like you.
Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.